today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Feel free to subscribe and tell your friends. Coming up on today's show, the Jody Wilson-Raybould versus Gerald Butts. Do we have a winner? And Alberta is going to invest almost $4 billion to move oil by rail. How safe is that? Thanks very much for listening. Enjoy the show. Why are Trudeau's best resigning? Uh, this all started as we go back to the cabinet shuffle with the uh, Auditor General, sorry, the Attorney General uh, and Minister of Justice, uh, I guess, shuffle out, demoted, really. And lots were asking questions, but no answers were really ever given as to why. Uh, she was uh, moved. Then uh, just under a week later, again, uh, I, you know, eventually uh, things started coming out, excuses. It was just bizarre. It was one reason after another. Then, you know, the prime minister at one point said it had something to do with uh, Bryson uh, retiring and stepping down. Therefore, uh, if he hadn't have done that, none of this would happen. I'm not sure how that fits in. <laughs> it, just, it just seems to be getting more bizarre. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the resignation of uh, Jody uh, Wilson-Raybould uh, and and this a star candidate very much uh, from the uh, caucus. And again, no real reason uh, given for that. And then we fast forward to uh, this past weekend and the resignation of uh, Justin Trudeau's wingman and, and head supervisor, policy guy and, and, and good friend as well. Uh, Gerald Butts, he is gone. And yet there's nothing to see here. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why these people are resigning. Nobody knows really what the story is behind any of this. Uh, And now uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould appears back in the House yesterday as Butts is gone. So has this gone from a crisis to something that's merely internal? What about the whole situation in regard to SNC-Lavalin? Uh, it's hard to tell uh, what is happening here in front of our own eyes. Let's bring in Christopher Waddell, Professor, School of Journalism, uh, Journalism and Communication, Carleton University. He is with us now. Christopher, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate this. Thanks very much, Scott. So uh, is it just an odd coincidence that Butts is gone and Jody Wilson-Raybould is back wandering the halls? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, there's been, you know, the various... Um, as stories like this go on, what tends to happen with stories um, like this is that when they start out and when they're not particularly clear, as this one hasn't been from the start, um, people tend to use it for a variety of different purposes. Um, everybody has a reason, may have different reasons for wanting to jump on the story and try to turn it and twist it in whatever which, which way they want to take it, whether it's opposition parties, whether it's, a, whether it's outside interest groups, whether it's other people who want to use a story like this to to to, to um, advance their own cause, particularly at a time uh, with an election coming up in, in five or six months in October. In the case of Mr. Butts, it's difficult to know whether whether um, this is... Certainly there's other reasons to think that he may want to leave at this point in time. It's um, the, cons- the, the, the Conservative government under Stephen Harper was criticized for actually being far too centralizing and having too much control at the centre. Um, Mr. Trudeau's government is really hasn't changed that very much. And what tends to happen is when the center of the government has a lot of control over everyone else, particularly in, in some cases backbench members of parliament, um, those backbench members of parliament at some point start to get a little unhappy, and they may start to get a little unhappier as they get closer to an election and realize that the decisions being made at the center that it will affect their ability to get reelected 
So it, it, it's not, and there's been quiet messages around for a while that, in fact, a lot of the backbenchers aren't very happy with, with with the Prime Minister's office and the degree to which it controls things, perhaps the degree to which it actually um, shares information or solicits advice, all those sorts of things, or how well it handles certain policy announcements and other things. So there may be other reasons for Mr. Butts to want to leave at this time, just to kind of clear the air. And what we don't know as well at the moment is whether he is a He's actually going to be working on the election campaign, and if he was going to be doing that and leaving his current job to start working on that, would be a good thing to do with an election coming up in five or six months. But so. that's certainly what has happened. None of this has cleared the air. Um, no, of course. No. So, if that were the reasons, why not just explain this? I mean, at the end of the day, it comes back to why was she demoted, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and why did she resign? And the legal ties to the SNC Lavalin case. I mean, at the end of the day, these are the questions that need to be answered that nobody seems to have the answers to. Yeah, and, and and well, there are people who have the answers to. We haven't heard yet whether they whether they want to answer them or not. I don't know. I mean, the question of the, is the question of demotion. But again, you're sort of making it sound like. Hang on, just sorry to interrupt. You're sure. sort of making it sound yeah. like you know people are using this for political hay for their own political gain. At the end of Which this, at, at the end of this, there is a pretty serious issue underlying here, is there not? Well, there, there is. A, there, there may or there may not be, and in, in that. In that we certainly know that we know that legislation was changed in the omnibus budget bill to allow for deferred for, for these settlements out of court, and you have to think, and everyone knows that was done in part for the SNC Lavalin case. What we don't know, and we're, we don't know at the moment, although the Global Mail story this morning suggests that in fact the public prosecution um, uh, people decided. Uh, at one point that they were going to proceed with the prosecution with SNC-Lavalin at the start of September. And then the Globe story suggested a couple of weeks after that that the Prime Minister met with um, Ms. Wilson-Raybould. And we don't know what the context of that discussion was. And I guess there's only two people who, who know that, unless there are other people at the meeting. So whether he met with her to persuade, to try to suggest that she should ch- that the public prosecution people should change that, uh, she should override them, which she, of course, has the the ability to do as justice had the ability to do as justice minister, or not. We don't know. Um, maybe if Ms. Wilson Raybould talks, that will um, that will clear that up. There may be other reasons as well why she was switched from the justice portfolio. Uh, Prime ministers switch people around and do things for a whole bunch of different reasons. They don't often explain why. In this case, at some point, they may be forced to. We'll have to see. Uh, that being said, uh, will she be back as Attorney General? It, 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 I mean, it's pretty well, odd coincidence that Butts is out, she is back in. What does she want well, out well, of all except, of this? Except that, she, except that she's not back in. and that she, it, is, it, was a, it was an extraordinary... It was, uh, I, I can't think of an example where someone who has voluntarily left the Cabinet, which she did when she resigned, um, a month or several weeks after she'd been switched to Veterans Affairs, I can't think of an example when they've been invited back to talk to cabinet, but she's not back in cabinet. She's still a backbench member of parliament. And and will she be invited back into cabinet? And, uh, we'll have to see. I, I think that would be pretty extraordinary. But again, there's lots of things in this that don't seem to have a great deal of precedent. So we don't really know. But but um, what we do know is that she will uh, is apparently saying she's prepared to come to part justice committee and speak to the justice committee about circumstances surrounding this. But we don't. Does know. that mean that sh- that they already know what she's going to say? Um, again, well, what she's going to say will either hurt them or help them in some way. W- where is this going? I, uh, she. Who knows? What does she want? What does she want out of this? 
Uh, Butts is now gone. Obviously, there's allegations centered around her feeling pressured uh, in order to make this call with SNC. So where's where's the resolution here? Um, it's, it's a good question, and I'm not quite sure what the answer is going to, what the answer is going to be. Um, she may well go to the committee, but she may have advice from her lawyer, um, the former Supreme Court Justice Thomas Cromwell, but that, um, that there's certain things she can say and certain things she can't say. So going to the committee may, in fact, not enlighten anyone much about what the actual discussions were between her and, 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 is that why they're asking her to attend, because they know that there's nothing there damaging that she has? Oh, I think lots of people want her to be there just because it's political theater and they can try to score points one way or the other. Uh, and it puts a focus on things. Some people may be interested in actually finding out what, what she has to say, but nobody knows what she's going to be able to say at the moment. Will the Liberals do everything they can to make her happy to try to fix this? Because clearly well, she was very upset at one time in all of She this. was upset then, but she's not the first person that's been upset about being it's taken out of one cabinet position. Yeah, but let's be honest. Case. There's more to it than that. It's, it's tied to, an, to the SNC case and butts like all well, of a sudden but, but, resigning. But, but, this but, is more than just the average ca- cabinet shuffle. Wouldn't you well, agree? To, well, I don't know. I mean, is it tied to, was the decision made on the basis of the SNC case? I don't know the answer. Well, well nobody does say, because they're not answering. And if it was that simple, why would they not just do that? Um, it may it may be more complicated than that. It may be it may be other issues involving her role as attorney general, and they thought she should be changed to a different position. The difficulty that they face in this, in in dealing with Ms. Wilson-Raybould, is is Ms. Wilson-Raybould also in in addition to her position, in addition to her position in the in the cabinet, she was also a a standard bearer for Indigenous Canadians and for the role Indigenous people. Um, may be playing in future governments, and some people argue should have played in past governments before. So how she is dealt with by the Prime Minister, if in fact he decides to change her, is is more than just a question of another cabinet minister. It's very, It can be very symbolic as well. And the problem, in part, may have been that not enough time and attention was paid to that in the thinking about if we move her from this position, where do we move her, and what's that saying to the broader community, much of whom had had their hopes raised by Mr. Trudeau, that the Indigenous communities were going to be treated in a different way by this government than they had been by past governments in Canada. So so she's more than just the, 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 the Attorney General. She also is in many respects, um, uh, I can't think of the word I want, but she is representative of something broader and something broader that... Well, yeah, she checks off... Women as, also women as well. So. Absolutely. She checks off two very important boxes yeah. for the Liberals, women in the Indigenous community. Yeah. How could they not have kept that in mind when they demoted her, which is obviously what makes people question why this ever happened and why no excuse was ever given? Yeah, that's Those are good questions, although I think you also need to... You know, the issue of is, I mean, taking out of the out of of attorney general's position is obviously a change. Um, Veterans Affairs is it a demotion? Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, the vet. I don't know. I haven't found anybody that says it was a promotion. Well, let's let's be serious here. I mean, they're both important files, but that's not the point here. Yes, but they are both important files, and and the and veterans, the way the conservatives dealt with veterans, I think caused the conservatives condition. 
significant problems in the last election. And the Liberals have not found a way yet to handle the veterans' file better than the Conservatives have handled it. So that's a potential problem as well. So, so again, so, if this was an attempt to improve the veterans' file, my goodness, what a heavy price to pay. This is, absolutely. come on, it, it can't be that. It, it, it's got to be, it, it has to be, there, there's something here that we're missing. There's something here that we don't know. I, I don't know if you can just brush this off to normal uh, internal party politi- right. uh, politics in a cabinet shuffle. I'm not trying to brush it off, but what I'm suggesting is that there, that there may be, uh, and I, I don't follow the justice portfolio closely enough or the attorney general's uh, role in it or the minister of justice's role in it closely enough to know about other issues that might have been involved in this too, some of which I do know, in that there's been big delays in filling vacancies in, in, in um, judicial appointments across the country. Is that the uh, uh, minister of justice's issue or is that... Uh, an issue at the at the Prime Minister Privy Council office who have not been approving people who names have been put forward don't know the answer to that. Um, there are other questions. There is there are cases I believe Ms. Wilson Raybould did not appear at the Senate committee that was looking at. She was asked to come to appear and she did not appear at the Senate committee that was looking at the bill that would actually create the deferred um, the deferred prosecution um, exemption. So was that a problem? I don't know. Um, you know, if there's lots of this we don't really know, don't know the answer to. We're making a lot of assumptions. The assumptions may be right. The assumptions may be wrong. But they're all, um, a lot of it is also based on, on, I would argue, what various people would like to have, would like to think was happening for whatever reason. Well, in the end, she was angry. She was demoted. She resigned. Yep. She's now mm-hmm. back there. Butts is gone. She seems happier. What has the Liberals given her that she wants? What does she want out of this? And, 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 and again, you know, we had another uh, another situation with an SNC case that was thrown out, uh, another per, yep. uh, case that was thrown out yesterday. So again, there's just too much smoke here to blow this off as internal party politics and not somehow but, but, being tied but to question, it. But the question I'd ask is, on what do you base your assumption that she's happier? She's there. Well, she's a member of parliament. Shouldn't she be there? I guess, but uh... I mean, I mean, you know, she. I mean, I think that, I think it's an open. It's a good question. What was she doing at a cabinet meeting? And we haven't got an answer. To absolutely, that yet, but, absolutely. But, Again, we but, can't just blow this off like it's a normal day. I, I just don't see that. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, you I, know, I, you know, you can sit and say, "Well, prove it, prove it, prove it." It's like, my goodness, again, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, well, I, I, yeah, but sometimes you still do have to prove it, you know. Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, listen, I, I think I think it's up to the uh, the Trudeau Liberals to prove more than what I have to prove right now on this radio show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and there's and again, if it's as easy and as simple as what you say it is, why are they not just doing that? Why are they not just answering the questions of a why she was demoted in the first place? B uh, why why she did, in fact, resign. See, uh, why Butts is out the door. And I mean, all this stuff about the campaign coming up. Oh, yeah, sure, it all sounds good. But man, the timing is very, very fishy. I think what's, I think the, the, the thing to me out of all that that's interesting that we don't know the answer to is why she chose to resign, not at the time she was shifted, but several weeks later. Great question. But again, and, and, we, and I don't think the prime minister who's really, it's his responsible to do this, it's his responsibility mm-hmm. to do this, he's not adding any clear, clarity to this. And again, saying things like Bryson uh, left, that's why uh, she yeah, got yeah. shuffled. I mean, come on, that is just adding mud to the, to, to, to the picture here. I, I just don't see how any of this is providing any clarity, including Butt's resignation. 
Um, yeah, uh, yeah. The only thing, I mean, Mr. Butts' resignation does take away a person who a lot of the liberal, a lot of the backbench liberals and other people were not very. Were he was the focus of people's unhappiness. With yeah. the control of this with the control. Of the was Senate. he a well liked so, guy within the caucus? Did 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 people like him? No, I don't think out? I don't think so. Nobody nobody in that job is ever well liked within the caucus because they have to be a bit of an enforcer. They also have to, and they have to actually make sure things happen. And they tend to, well, you know, backbench members want to be heard. Backbench members want an opportunity to, to contribute to decisions before decisions are made. They want to know about decisions before they're actually made public. And they want to think, they want to think that when a decision is made public, it's, it's rolled out and, 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 and implemented in a way that is, achieves the maximum benefit for them politically. And I think they would argue that in a lot of circumstances that hasn't actually happened. So they have to focus on someone, and the principal secretary becomes someone they can focus on. And, 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 um, so, and, and that's not uncommon, in, as I said, in the fourth year of a government as you're leading towards an election, when, when MPs have, all, have got to start standing up and explaining to people if they want to get reelected why the government did what it did and, and how it did it. Do you think we'll get answers to these questions, Christopher? Um, I think the only people who really know the answers to the questions are, are, are Mr. Butts certainly knows whether he was involved in trying to apply any pressure or not. He claimed, he says in his letter he hasn't. Um, I think to, to get answers, you probably need the voice of both the Prime Minister and Ms. Wilson-Raybould, and how much they are, are going to want to say um, is not, a, not something, based on what we've seen so far, it's going to be not very much from either of them. But I think that's what everybody's waiting for. Uh, Christopher Waddell has been with us, Professor of School of Journalism and Communications, Carleton University. Christopher, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks very much, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Alberta's inability to get their products, their natural resources, to market. Of course, we know about the Kinder Morgan pipeline that was purchased. Uh, nothing more on that. It's still in consultation of some sort. Uh, meanwhile, Alberta is sitting on all this oil, which it has to sell to a discount as a discount to the United States. Now they're talking about rail cars. You might remember they brought this up uh, several months ago. It looks like it is coming to fruition. The Alberta government says it is investing $3.7 billion to move the province's landlocked oil to market by rail. Uh, 4,400 leased railway cars will move up to 120,000 barrels of oil per day by 2020. Shipments are expected to begin as early as July. To talk more about all of this, Dan McTagg is with us, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs Critic Analyst for GasBuddy.com. And with us now, Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, good to be here again. Let's let's start with a pipeline convo. Unfortunately, Dan, we haven't been able to get a hold of them or help them out in any way because they're not returning our calls for the last two days. Your thoughts on this and its effectiveness? Well, I think the effectiveness may be overshadowed by other circumstances taking place here in in in, uh, uh, in Ottawa. Of course, I'm not in Ottawa right now, but obviously, uh, it's pretty much you know, taken away all of the other considerations, media wise, and that's why I think. Uh, Although it's getting a lot of attention, it may not be getting the, quite the attention it uh, uh, it deserves. And of course, there are sidetrack issues as well. So, based on that, though, I think it does speak volumes to the uh, the absolute plight of uh, Western Canadians, in particular those who uh, have traditionally, uh, you know, had fairly good jobs, uh, paid decent taxes, uh, attracted significant international investments, and uh, we've now found that. Uh, 
and nothing short of bringing this to the attention of Ottawa. There's a wide perception, because I do a lot of interviews across the country and across North America, there's a significant uh, disconnect in the uh, in the sense, I think, that Western Canadians have it. Uh, Ontario and Quebec just don't give a damn. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the need to send this message uh, to uh, the to Parliament, but in particular the Trudeau Liberals, who uh, you know uh, have really done little, if nothing, perhaps uh, done a lot to un- undermine the vitality of an important part of Western Canada's economy, but most importantly for Canada's economy as a whole. Uh, some trying to tie it to the Yellow Vest movement, as there have been some that have participated uh, in this. Is this is this movement getting support? Is it gaining support? Well, I think it's gaining support, but it does, you know, of course there are issues that are going to detract and sidetrack. There's also, you know, things things of this nature, you always get characters showing up with their own agendas. Uh, This is pretty true of almost any type of uh, protest. Uh, But the awareness, I think, is is one that I I, I believe Canadians can't really afford to ignore. I'm not sure what one would describe as yellow vest. I think that's really a response uh, initially to the significant amount of uh, of uh, uh, money that the public is going to have to pay uh, as the uh, governments like France want to, in my view, foolishly ignore uh, realities and phase out uh, all sorts of diesel and gasoline-driven uh, engines uh, and, and transportation. What motivates the economy there as well uh, in this belief that somehow you can turn everything over to electric uh, vehicles by taxing the bejesus out of people. And I think that's, obviously, uh, we're not at that point here in Canada, but it's starting. I mean, it's clear that uh, the government has an intention to you know, impose a carbon tax on provinces that don't want it. That will move uh, as of uh, April Fool's Day here from $0.05 cents a litre all the way up to about $0.12.5 cents a litre in three short years, and perhaps even more going forward. So... You know, does the yellow vest thing apply to Canada? Perhaps not. But there's one thing that uh, France doesn't have that Canada has a lot of oil at a time when the world desperately needs Canadian oil, and we can't get it to any market at any price. It's just unfortunate that those opposed to this cause are trying to distract uh, from the cause by painting a picture of hooliganism and really losing the message why this is even going on. But, you know, you're always going to find hooligans, uh, lugans, as we used to call them, uh, you know, doing uh, ridiculous things and taking advantage of the situation. But I think the message is very clear. If Canadians don't pay heed to this, then they should start to think about higher interest rates, less jobs, uh, and more money leaving the country. That, by the way, uh, for the trendy types here in my city of Toronto who think uh, nothing of it, should uh, remind themselves that the TSX is prim- primarily founded uh, and it gets its uh, its vitality out of the resource sector. So if you want to, uh, you know, as it were, wish that away, good luck. You're wishing your jobs away with it. All right, let's talk about uh, pipelines and, and rail cars. Uh, this was brought up several months ago when um, uh, uh, I guess the Premier of both BC and Alberta were trying to uh, uh, come to an agreement and the Prime Minister uh, referee that nothing came out of it. Alberta, I guess, threatened to turn off the taps and build some rail cars or get some rail cars. It looks like they've done that. 44 leased rail cars, what to up to 120,000 barrels of oil moved per day this way. Uh, by 2020, where is this going? Where does it end up? What's the route? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's very well intentioned. Uh, when the, the policy was designed in October, November, we were dealing with $15 oil. We're now dealing with oil that's less than five dollars away from West Texas and immediate. And and were it not for the situation in uh, in Venezuela 
it's pretty clear to me that uh, at uh, $42 a barrel versus 56 when it costs anywhere from 10 to $15 a barrel to uh, to transport this oil to, uh, say, the Gulf Coast, the U.S. Gulf Coast, which needs this heavy oil and uses this heavy oil, you may find yourself uh, at an economic disadvantage. And so, you know, the issue of curtailment that the Alberta government had also implemented at the beginning of December has had the effect of driving up the price of Western Canadian Select. We're selling a lot less oil, but we're getting a lot more money for it. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, there are various reasons, not just the the crumbling situation in Venezuela, which has always sold heavy oil, uh, was the number two seller of heavy oil, along with Mexico, to the U.S., Canada being number one. Uh, the reality is that uh, I'm not sure that this is going to work. And I, I, I suspect that uh, well and good intentions aside, the economics is a moving target. And the economics right now has seen oil prices move up because of curtailment. I'm also concerned uh, about uh, who is going to carry this. While CNCP seemed to be the ones that said, yes, we will lease these cars, um, there are other factors that have to be considered. For instance, if you look at uh, perhaps the largest of the uh, rail carriers, uh, BNSF, uh, BNSF Railway in the U.S., owned by Warren Buffett, uh, they're not interested in using those uh, uh, with DOT 117s and the retrofits. Those are the uh, variation of the 111s that blew up uh, and after the disaster at Lac Megansic. But there have been many, many other accidents involved in these rail cars. And so there is an unintended outcome here, and that is that uh, some rail carriers in the United States may not be willing to uh, to do the work. So, I, But I'm not clear at this point if it's simply CNCP that's going to carry these products up and down every single day, all 311,000 barrels, which is what these things can fit on a daily basis. Uh, of course, it takes several days to get down to the Gulf Coast. So yeah, there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. And of course, uh, we see a major shift in the economic landscape from oil. Uh, this is sort of a second best guess uh, attempt by government of Alberta, but uh, it's no substitute for getting pipelines built. Uh, shouldn't all of these uh, logistical details been figured out before they decide they're going to take action on this? I mean, yeah, wouldn't you have think. wouldn't you have a the track like another thing is how are you going to add one hundred and twenty thousand barrels of oil per day? That's forty four hundred leased cars to the system. Is you know is there room for that? Oh, is there a bottleneck? Yes, of course that that is a consideration, uh, and it does mean that other factors, other types of merchandise may be squeezed out. Yeah, uh, but the fact that you have these leases in hand, those leases have gone from. 400 bucks uh, a week to uh, you know a thousand bucks a week so they've uh, you're paying a pretty price in order to get your your fuel moving your oil moving and at the end of the day you hope you're going to make some money but you know uh, these long-term assumptions are based on you know the possibility that present trends will continue and, they, and, it's, and it's not that's the, the the problem here you know I think the ultimately they have probably thought the pluses and minuses in all of this uh, but I think at the end of all of this, uh, I have not heard anybody, you know, respond to uh, my earlier concern, which was that uh, BNSF Railway uh, was going to say no to pulling these retrofitted oil tank cars. Uh, and I think that's a concern because uh, beyond the cost, uh, beyond what you are trying to accomplish, which I, think, which I think is laudable, you may very well find yourself in the inability to to meet that uh, that expectation, not just because of the uh, the limitations in terms of uh, capacity by rail, but more importantly, some carriers simply don't want to take the uh, the risk. We've had, you know, uh, I, I think was it uh, a few months back uh, in September, there were 14 tank cars that were 
uh, that had Canadian oil, and they, they punctured. I think it was in Iowa. And uh, out of that came uh, about, uh, I'm going to remember the, the time, it was probably, probably about 50,000, it was that many, probably about three or 4,000 barrels of oil spilled out of several cars. Each of one of those uh, tank cars carries about 700 barrels, and it's about 159 litres in every barrel, just to do the math backwards. But that's really what's got some people quite concerned as to you know whether or not all intentions being proper, this is going to be doable. Uh, would the considering what happened in uh, in Quebec would would there not would these cars not be the highest standard because of that? I mean, obviously, you don't want to rent all these things and then have someone not want to haul them. Uh, wouldn't that have been a prerequisite before all this started? Is yeah, they yeah, got to be the cars that that everybody wants to receive. The retrofits, uh, you know, address a lot of this, but they they they're not bulletproof, and they certainly right. don't have the uh, the, uh, the the track record uh, of, of of a pipeline. So anytime you move something that heavy, you know, two hundred thousand pounds of, uh, of of whatever on a, on a car, hurtling at uh, thirty miles, sixty miles, or if you will, uh, you know, fifty kilometers to eighty kilometers to hundred kilometers an hour, you done run, you do run those risks. Right. Um, municipalities are obviously going to want to be notified. Uh, the protocols may not be in place. What about the insurance? I mean, who's paying for the insurance on these? We know that the insurance indemnification is forty to one, roughly, for uh, for uh, pipelines versus rail cars. So, so could this end up being too costly that it'll never even get off the ground? Uh, we'll have to be, we'll have to be measured. Do you think this will end up being too costly and we'll never get off the ground? Oh, well, that's a good question. I I think at this point the the. The die is cast. I think uh, people are prepared to proceed with this. Uh, I think it's also a shot across the bow. Uh, that was my next question. Is there a message here, even if it yeah, costs is. money? Is there a message here they're trying to send? Yeah, I think the message now that uh, Canada's pushing back, and even provinces like Alberta have really taken it on the chin. They've t- turned both cheeks and had enough. And I can't blame them one, uh, you know, one bit. If you're going to block our pipelines, you sure as hell can't block our railways. Uh, there is federal jurisdiction there, and even if the federal government doesn't doesn't want to stick up for it, there is no court in this country that would entertain the idea that you can't send a product over a border, an international border, or between provinces uh, by rail. So uh, the trendies and their lawyers can't figure that one out. There's no way uh, you know you can spend as much money as you want on the green side trying to block these things. But uh, this is perhaps force majeure. This is what you have to do in the kind of circumstance. It's not a pretty one. It's certainly not one that anybody wanted, but. This is what happens when a country allows itself to be whipsawed by a very small, determined group of people uh, who have really zero-targeted our our industry, uh, our, really our golden goose, unlike any other nation in the world would allow or accept. Um, what, you know, we talked about the danger of this and, and another, you know, 4,400 cars carrying uh, uh, this amount of oil. What if something has does happen? I mean, what then? Well, I mean, that's, uh, you know... The, the, Where's the discussion go from there? Yeah, the discuss- well, it, it could happen. I mean, you're simply increasing the risk when you do that of derailment. Um, but the discussion will have to be, how did we get to this point? You know, we can't simply say and seal off an industry and say, oh, let's leave it in the ground. You know, that'd be like saying to those who are making those arguments that you're not going to get your welfare checks. I mean, the fact is that those making those kind of arguments and who have put that kind of argument before... Uh, have to recognize the damage of their uh, of their of their waste. The country cannot shut down. 
We can't stop commerce in this nation because a handful of people, unelected, are using every means at their disposal to uh, destroy an industry that is really very much safeguarding our standard of living as Canadians. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not in the business of blaming. I think it's important that Canada be able to get its resources to market, and in the fact that we have had our most viable way of sending our products to international markets blocked by, uh, you know, by legal turpitude, in my view, is uh, is is really tantamount to saying if you have anyone to blame, blame the uh, the folks that are spending a lot of money uh, frustrating the country. Um, at the end of the day, I think we can still send by rail, but I certainly wouldn't want to see uh, significant greater amounts on our on our rail systems. Certainly, when you you can't be, you know, it comes to the detriment of other products or raises the risk and probability uh, that uh, this is going to raise greater red flags down the road. But as I said earlier, uh, you know, with the main carrier in the United States is saying that they are concerned about this particular car. Um, and at the end of the day, I guess this is sort of the next best thing we can do, but we've got to get the oil moving or we shut down the country. It's as simple as that. If you think we can afford a $40 billion deficit every year, uh, losing the amount of investments, losing a lot, you know, uh, an important vital industry for the country, then by all means. And here I'm not even referring to oil. It's also our natural gas, which is being blocked. So, uh, you know, Canadians are going to have to really take the bull by the horns. If they don't want to do it, then how the hell are they going to pay for uh, for the standard of living they expect? What hospitals do you want closed? What forms of education, pensions, uh, and universality do you want to compromise? Because that's what we're going down. And I'm sorry, but you know, building windmills is not going to be a substitute for doing what Canada needs to do in the 21st mo- in, in, in this 21st century. As being a uh, former Liberal uh, member of Parliament, I can't let you go with asking, without asking uh, uh, your thoughts on what's transpired in Ottawa over the last week or so in regard to the SNC-Lavalin case and so on and so forth, but more specifically, uh, the resignation of Gerald Butts, uh, who in his statement uh, when resigning, uh, some reason tied in, well, because he's an environmentalist, tied in the fact that our greatest challenge is climate change. Do you find it very odd for him to have made that uh, comment in a statement like that? And with his ties to the environmental movement and his influence over the prime minister, how do you, how do you view his resignation? Well, I think it's pretty clear what his intentions were all along and that this $4.5 billion uh, you know, investment to, to never build a pipeline is uh, is certainly very clear. This man was, in fact, your government of Canada, uh, and he had the really control of the purse, the financial levers, and the policies of this country. Not not Justin Trudeau, and not the people around him, and certainly not his caucus. So, you know, with him out of the way, uh, but his admission, I think, was very telling. It's all about the. It's all about climate. Um, it's not about jobs. It's it just seemed jobs. very, very odd to put a comment on climate change in that statement of resignation. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. Considering uh, I, this is all had to do with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and the SNC-Lavalin case. No, no, but we know what this group is all about. This is the, this is the issue. You it appears it. that way, doesn't it? But it's, but it's everything, though, Scott. We're all being defined by this issue. Either you think it's that is the most important thing, uh, next to oxygen itself, or uh, you're uh, you're cast out. Um, I'm not surprised. It's it's the imperature of uh, of of the new politics in Canada and around the world, which is uh, either you uh, you conform or you're cast out, as uh, Rush would have put it. Um, the fact is that you know his comment, I think, spoke volumes as to why Canada's energy sector is in such disarray. One man has literally gone out and vandalized the industry and been uh, an open 
really a, a conduit for all of the, this obstruction of our resources. It's, it's, it's tragic beyond anything else. Will but, things uh, change without him there? Do you think it will make a difference? Uh, well, no, it'll, he'll still be consulting from the sidelines. He just won't be paid. Uh, there's no difference. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, this individual will not go. Uh, he may say he's gone, uh, and we're still not sure as to where this uh, takes us. But, you know, Canadians are happy-go-lucky folks. In Eastern Canada, hey, no problem. Everything's just great and wonderful. Let's vote these guys back in and uh, let them uh, plunder our, uh, our, our economy as they've done. I'm very worried about the future, Scott. And I say that as a guy who's been around the Liberal Party for 37 years, this ain't the Liberal Party I joined. Yeah, as a young man and fought for, for, over, uh, for over four decades. Dan McTaggy has been with us, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, analyst, GasBuddy.com. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good talking. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots to talk about with Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, principal, Alyssa Freeman PR. I'm sure we're going to start with politics and then end up with the Me Too movement if we ever get there. Alyssa, how are you? Alyssa, are you there? Oh, yes, I'm here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have I caught you at a bad time? Well, I thought I said, I need two minutes. <laughs> came very quickly, so that's okay. Oh, are you, do you want me to give you two minutes? Because I can, No, you know, no, you I'm sure? good now. All right. I'm here. All right. I'm glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time. We greatly appreciate this. No problem. All right. Let's go to Ottawa and what's been happening with uh, the Jody Wilson-Raybould scenario, the resignation of Gerald Butts, and how this all ties into the SNC-Lavalin uh, case. Uh, getting back to, or going back to that day when there was a cabinet shuffle and the Prime Minister announced that uh, that there would be a replacement in the uh, Attorney General position. Obviously, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, very upset about all of this. You could tell by the uh, expression on her face. Then eventually retires, or sorry, resigns from uh, caucus. And then uh, a couple of days later, over the weekend, we hear the same thing happening with uh, uh, Gerald Butts. And now he is out the next day. She's in there meeting with caucus. How do we process all of this? You know, I have to tell you, that is a head-scratcher, Scott. So... Why she was sitting there meeting with caucus, I don't know. Unless, and this is pure speculation, that maybe she got what she wanted and Gerald Butts is gone. Is she cutting some sort of deal? Is that the whole thing? Was, you know what, this guy's bugging me. I don't like him. He's pressuring me to do this. I want him gone. And 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 they gambled on the wrong horse this time. Well, I think they did. And, you know, Gerald Butts has a reputation for being very protective of his friend, Justin Trudeau. They've known each other since the days of McGill. And, you know, if you go after Justin Trudeau, Gerald Butts on his Twitter feed will go after you. So that type of vengefulness seems to be ingrained in his behavior. And obviously it works for him because the people that he works for feel protected. And when you're Uh, working for a very high-profile politician, that's what they want to know. They want to know that somebody has their back 24-7. So that MO has always worked for him. The other thing, too, is is that maybe when she rebuffed their suggestions um, regarding, you know, how to deal with uh, SNC-Lavalin, they were shocked that she said no, because normally when you're in caucus, you toe the party line, which is why there's not many people in caucus who are even talking about this or refuse to be quoted on or will not provide comment. 
So the fact that a party member did not toe the party line, which is all about what politics is, they did what they always do. Well, you don't want to play in our sandbox? You're out. So that being her to Veterans Affairs. That being said, as we've mentioned before, she checks off two big boxes for the Liberals, uh, female voters and the Indigenous community. Did they underestimate her her power, her draw? Is she the most powerful woman in Ottawa today? Right now she is. And the thing about this is, Scott, like you can do a lot of stuff for window dressing. You can put up all sorts of pretty drapes and uh, shades and blinds to make it look good. But at the end of the day, you have to live with it. So if they thought what they were going to do was just check boxes with some, you know, very intellectual window dressing, they underestimated her integrity and what she stood for. And you know what really, you know, Trudeau ran on the fact that he wanted to have a transparent government and he said he was an, that he was a feminist and that he wanted to help the indigenous, indigenous people of this country. Well, clearly, I don't know whatever happened to his feminism, but, you know, as soon as things started to go off the rails with uh, Raybould Wilson, what is the first thing he said? She was difficult to work with. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> really? And women love you that, don't they? through that old trope, <laughs> she's difficult. Boy, oh boy. How many times have you ever heard somebody say that about a man? He was difficult to work with. And you know, Scott, what was telling in her letter that she was so ticked off, she was so angry that in her letter they said, she said she thanked all Canadians. She didn't thank the Prime Minister for the opportunity. I also thought it was fascinating. concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought it was fascinating that uh, when when Butts resigned, the Prime Minister spoke very highly of him, but didn't see really much of Raybould Wilson when, when she, uh, sorry, Wilson Raybould, when she stepped down. Well, she committed the ultimate sin. She, listen, everybody serves at the pleasure of the head of state. And there was no pleasure there. And she said no. And I'm not, she's supposed to be impartial. And they tried to, allegedly, we don't know, um, you know, they allegedly tried to sway her decision on how to deal with this large Canadian corporation that some people say is too large to fail. And she said no. And then they did what they always do, you know, demote her, but they didn't expect the backlash. So, but, you know, Scott, the fact that she's sitting in caucus, I do not get. I do not get, unless she is cutting some sort of deal. That it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Well, she's been, she's listened, she was retained a Supreme Court judge, for goodness sakes, as her, as her legal counsel. She's not fooling around. So and she is back and she is happy. Say all is good and they do give her something to appease her. Uh, and that's great for them because uh, of those two groups that, abs- that that love this woman. That being said, does this distract from how we got here in the first place? And that's butts interfering with government policy. How, what does this do? Does this does this uh, distract us from the SNC-Lavalin case? You know what? I think the one thing that the only thing that distracts people from the SNC-Lavalin case is that it's very murky and that people don't know all the ins and outs. Yeah, it's difficult. But here's what people do know. They do know that uh, there was something going on behind the scenes. Somebody said no and somebody got mad. So is this because it's supposed to be government business, business as usual and you don't know the way it works? Um, or is this because uh, is this because you know this is a company that, as we have mentioned, is too big to fail? But you know, Scott, the fact that she's sitting in caucus, I think that maybe her legal counsel has also said, okay, you have gone this far. What you have done could essentially, some say, it's 
way too uh, early uh, for out from the election, but some say could, you know, topple the government. And, you know, do you want to be known as that person? And that is a very heavy weight to bear, my friend, especially if you ever want to be in politics again, because, you know, politics is all about a club. And if you're either you're in or you're out. So maybe she's having second thoughts. I don't know. But at the end of the day, Scott, she needs to say something like the whole tight lip business of not saying anything and being advised to what she can and cannot say. I'm sure that's what's happening in all these caucus meetings, which is like, okay, how do we mitigate this disaster that you initiated? And perhaps one of the things that she got she wanted was tell, you know, Gerald Butts to get out. Tell him to. Do you think it was one or the other? One had to go? No, I, well, she wasn't going to go anywhere. You know, the candidate would kick her out of the party, for heaven's sake. So let, let me ask you this. She she obviously, as we, we mentioned earlier, certainly uh, today the most powerful woman in Ottawa. Now, and we remember how she just had a bat on for this government when she was demoted. Now, all of a sudden, things appear to be all, you know, hunky-dory and everything's good. Is Will she be accused of selling out? That Will, will the sympathy shift because... You know, she got something great, but still doesn't doesn't address the problem of how we got here, and that's the crooked politics around SNC. Listen, when you put yourself in this type of position, let's say a whistleblowing type of position, it isn't that yet because nothing's happened. But when you put yourself in this type of position, you have to ride the good, the bad, and the ugly. So while you may be hailed at the outset with this great sort of sort of like a very, very short honeymoon phase, this is a woman with integrity. She said no, she wasn't going to, you know, kowtow to uh, government and foreign interests because, you know, basically it was against the law. And now suddenly you're dialing back a little bit. So now the onus comes back on you. In the interim, when she resigned from caucus, you know, there was a lot of filling the pipeline with messages. And, you know, the, the prevailing fact around that is, is that either you fill the pipeline or somebody else is going to do it for you. The problem when everything that Trudeau said, he would say it one day, and then he'd have to sort of backtrack on the next day. Mm-hmm. So that strategy wasn't working. And there were many pundits and talking heads that said, listen, just be quiet until she speaks and then react to it. And the faster you let her do that, the faster this is going to move off the front pages. Because, honest to goodness, you don't want to come back after the summer break and still be dealing with this, still be dealing with the results of an inquiry, and still have to message it and try and move it off the front pages. So what's going on now is that I think every newspaper reporter is using their source. They're trying to find out what's what. And it's, I think it's a big mystery to most of us. Was the, the only liberal strategy here to take her back to fix this, to, to, to go in with a hug? I mean, you know, again, she, he wasn't very supportive of her at one time. His tune certainly seems to be changing. Um, and, and will people question her because she's flip-flopped in this way, perhaps just for, some own, for, for her own personal gain? Or was the problem solved here? I don't know, and I think that Canadians, this isn't going to pass the sniff test of Canadians. So just because she's back in the good books, that's not good enough for Canada? No, and I think that she's going to have to come out with some sort of statement, but by the same token, and this is what you're alluding to, Scott, it's got to be a very solid statement, and it's got to make sure that she's just not capitulating or trying to save face, but that something was actually accomplished. So what they're doing is maybe hammering out that what she's going to say so that everybody comes out as unscathed as possible. 
are, are people going to come out completely unscathed, completely scot-free? No. But what you want to do in these type of cases, especially when you're messaging something like this, is to mitigate the damage to the least, uh, the, the least amount. So that, yes, you may take a hit, but you'll take a small hit and a quick hit. Uh, there's lots of talk around, uh, you know, some have called it a kangaroo court in, in the, uh, the liberal inquiry that is going on. It's now been revealed that she will speak to them. Um, they must already know what she's going to say. That's why there's this kumbaya moment. No? I don't know. I don't know who knows what. But I do know that in politics, there's a lot of backrooming. And often you don't enter a room until you know what is going to be said or that everybody understands where you're coming from so you can come to a quick resolution for those who um, agree with you. So, And that would just make these whole processes a real sham in the eyes of the Canadian public, to be quite honest, Scott. You know, sure, she's going to appear in front of the Justice Committee, but, I mean, if it's a foregone conclusion, which it probably will because this is politics, then I think the Canadians are going to see through that. Will the Liberals try to sell this as, in the end of the day, look, everybody's happy, it was an internal affair, uh, Butts is gone, she's back in, everyone loves everyone, nothing to see here, and, you know, I mean, if she neutralizes this, it's dead, it's gone. Well, it is, and that would be best-case scenario for the Liberals right now. I mean, they may welcome her back, but believe me, I wouldn't be hugging anybody in the Liberal Party after that for fear they might have a knife and put a knife in my back. I mean, that is for sure. Um, you know, I don't know what this means for her particular career, but they're certainly never, ever going to touch her. And they'll never, ever try to discredit her again. You know, what the Liberals need to do right now is they need to be just not solving this, but they need to be also looking forward and saying, OK, how do we move this off the front page? What are the type of wins that we could get in order to get the Canadian Canadians public opinion uh, back in our So favor? what is this? Do they give her another high profile position? I think it's got to be way more than that, Scott. I think they've got to like figure out the uh, North American Trade Agreement. I think that they have to figure out the pipeline stuff. I think they have. There's a lot of things on their plate right now that if they made happen, that could absolutely turn the page. These none of the none of which are easy. Yeah, and you know all of which will you know take a lot of work. But you know if you get rid of tariffs, Scott, if you get rid of like yeah. aluminum and steel tariffs. People are going to be mighty happy about that. Yeah. But there was an Ipsos poll that um, was done on the weekend uh, before Gerald Butts resigned, which showed that the Liberals were at uh, 38%, mm-hmm. which is exactly where Stephen Harper was before the last election. And you know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. So that may have also been a, dividing, you know, a, a deciding factor, rather, uh, about Gerald Butts leaving, thinking, okay, well, somebody's got to take the bullet for this. And guess what? You know, says Justin, it's not going to be me. So will that be it? Uh, you know, what does Jody Wilson-Raybould want out of this? Does she just want Butts gone now that he is? That's fine. Let's, because many didn't like him. Many thought that he was, he had too much control over the prime minister. Um, uh, is that enough? Is that enough to keep people happy? Mm, no, I think that she's going to want some guarantees. I think she's going to want guarantees against backlash. I think she's going to want guarantees on what type of committees she'll be able to sit on, um, you know, what her future is in the uh, Liberal Party. Um, you know, this is, uh, I've, I've never worked with a woman, but I mean, you know, obviously she's quite steely. So she's going to ask, you know, maybe she'll ask for the world and, and meet them halfway. I mean, who knows what that means. 
but she's not just going to roll over and play dead, that is for sure. And I think at the very, very, very least, or at least the most important to her, would be that her integrity uh, remains intact. What about uh, Gerald Butts? Uh, He was, uh, I guess, quite an arm with the environmental movement in this government, had worked with uh, World World Wildlife Federation prior to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you saw his statement on how he explained his resignation. He was very vague and, and then at the very end of it said, we can't forget as he leaves, uh, is, at the, to end his statement, we can't forget about the most important thing, and that is climate change. Do you find it odd that in a statement that's in regard to Jody Wilson-Raybould and SNC-Lavalin and this right-hand man being uh, well, resigning, we'll leave it at that, um, do, do you think it's odd that, that he focused on something like climate change rather than what was before him? You know, I think that, you know, when you always say parting words, right, Scott? So yeah. I think that if you're going to write a resignation letter, what do you want people to remember? That, oh, I had a great time and this is really unfortunate and blah, blah, blah. Or do you want to talk about something that you uh, really helped champion in order to incur change? And I think that that's what that was all about. And, and, and yes, he was with World Wildlife for many years and climate change was certainly a uh, driving narrative. Uh, for him personally, and for him to end off a statement with, with, like that is, it, it, I don't think that's not. Um, I think it does represent what is what is in his wheelha- wheelhouse, and I don't think it's really that unusual. Do you think it's not focusing on on the task at hand? He's not focusing on the issues at or hand, or what he's saying, or he's trying to sell himself on the way out the door. Yeah, or this is a blip, and there's really bigger bigger fish to fry. You think so? How do you think this is going to end? Mm. Because well, it, 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 appears, it, it appears right, caucus, it, it appears right now that she's happy again. So again, if she's not if she's not you know running around with a mat on face and and looking like she wants to say something but can't, if this all appears in in you know that she's happy, does this die? I mean, does anybody talk about it anymore? And is that all we need to wipe the whole SNC Lavalin thing off the off the front page? Well, it depends. I mean, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I, honestly, I don't get understand why she's having meetings with them and sitting there like nothing has happened in cabinet. So I, I, I don't get it. Um, do I think that this means it's the end of end of the discussion? Are you kidding? I think that the conservatives and the NDP are still going to hammer on this as, as long as they can. I mean, goodness, after a break to come back to this. Woo, the, you know, this was just catnip, right? Yeah, along with a convoy from a uh, pipeline convoy rolling in. It was a busy yes, day for him. That. But, you know, the other thing, too, is, is that people were waiting for Andrew Shear to say something about it, which he was not. Hmm. You know, it's one thing to, you know, bash the, the guy who's, you know, the leader, because that's easy to do. But it's quite another thing to actually, you know, where the rubber hits the road, well, tell us what you think and what would you do? I mean, you are the leader of the party and you are going to be running for prime minister. So what would you do? Uh, of course, nobody has an answer for that. Didn't he make reference to that uh, he would allow her to speak? Probably. But, I mean, that's easy to say when you're in the opposition. Don't have to deal with that. I don't think the Conservatives would deal with this much differently, to be quite honest, if they were in power. I think this is just one of those really, really touchy situations. And, and you know, there's always a lot of appeasements made to Quebec. And nobody wants to upset them. And, you know, people are worried that if that 
company goes down, then there's lots and lots of people and jobs and families who, whose fortunes are, are attached to that. So, you know, this is what everybody is is, is talking about at this point. So, is it, is, let me ask you this. Is this Quebec institution worth saving, uh, especially, uh, well, is, 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 it worth, is it worth saving above the rule of law? Well, I think that this is the big, the big situation. And I think that... And a big question for Quebecers. happened to Wilson-Raybould, I, I will say this, is that the issue of how you deal with SNC-Lavalin is not going to go away. Hmm. And, you know, I, don't, I think that the average person gets that when you do business in Libya, you're just not signing a contract without yeah. an envelope being passed uh, across the table. Yeah. I think that people get that. But, you know, this is, Canada is not a banana republic, and I think that people respect doing business with us because they know that we have respect for the law and that we say what we mean and we mean what we say. So when you are, are accused of bribery within your own country of, you know, of different companies, well, I, I think people take a, a, have a different view of that. Especially when you're trying to sell rule of law to countries like China. Well, you know, and when you're not acting in the same way, but you, you, know, mm-hmm. you sort of don't, you know, you think you have a better human rights record just, just because. You think that's a good enough reason? I don't know. I think it's a really, really fine line about what we accuse other countries of and what we do ourselves. Alyssa Freeman's been with us, public relations consultant, PR, uh, principal PR, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Man, I can't get that out. Alyssa, thank you as always for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, and thank you, Scott. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.